0: All right, you saw it. We're having an event on May 9th. Get your tickets. If you didn't see the promo because you're on the podcast, go to com. get your tickets for May 9th. We have an insane show to talk about today. You wouldn't believe it a year ago. Everywhere I go, the people really want know who I is and who I be. They In the show and notes they see this morning Every when we were putting day. it in, I said I wrote just 24 months ago, today's episode would seem like crazy talk. This, but instead, <laughs> it's <laughs> it real would. talk. Right, because as we were going to talk about Elon Musk' purchase of Twitter, Texas turning up the heat on Vroom. You're like, Vroom, where'd they come from a year ago? And then Meta is opening a real-world store to sell Metaverse equipment and push people into the Metaverse. It's like, first of all, a year, 20, two years ago, you'd be like, the Meta who? Vroom who? What what are you, gib- what's all this gibberish? What, What are all these words
1: that you have on a page and then... But but it's that like, we yeah, threw this the cook- guy. <laughs> we know he builds cars and you know solar panels but track with me here. He bought a
0: social media platform. He just executed a hostile takeover of Twitter. <laughs> Brilliantly.
1: He's like <laughs> 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 What?
0: <laughs> I think it, it really is one of those things like you boil the frog and you don't realize that. I mean we didn't even mention blockchain, NFTs.
1: Right. We just
0: lockdowns. <laughs> Matt Twenty four months ago, well actually twenty-four months ago now we would know what a lockdown was. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately we, were a month we would no. know. Unfortunately, right? Okay. Yeah. But but all the other stuff. All the other stuff for sure. <laughs> I mean, it is it's easy to forget the staggering velocity that we've been moving on for the last twenty four months, which means no we've kind of normalized to it.
1: Yeah, what? I think about this in in just the reality of a week for me right now. If uh, like associating that to just over two years ago, how the pace of a week, the pace of news, the pace of, you know, the, like the mentality on customer experience, all of that, the pace at this point then feels like drag pace. What? Right. And I think everybody in business is dealing with that. It was kind of like, there's this just rhythm and you just did, you just kind of did things and everyone kind of showed up and then boom, things happen. And there's a pace right now that sometimes almost feels like a frenzy to me.
0: It does that make sense. No, we've had it, we've had to get used to operating well in frenzy mode. Really, it's it's almost right. like battlefield logistics. You know, yeah. like things are changing all the time. And you literally, like when you go into battle, they say you never know exactly what's going to happen because right. you never know what the enemy's gonna do. Like you can plan, but when you hit the battlefield guaranteed something's gonna happen that you didn't plan for, right? Because there's just too many possible scenarios. So, I mean, I feel like we're getting very conditioned to do things we never thought were possible. We talk about it all the time. The four minute mile, it was totally impossible. Actually, people were like, we're pretty sure the human heart will explode if you run a mile in four minutes. And then one person does it. And then now like it becomes the training, the training benchmark that many people do. And I think we're living in that world. I mean, the NADA conference, Right. Let's, and I think it's still like this. They may be trying to change it. Um, but typically, if you're going to be a speaker at NADA, right, you, you give your submission in like, sip, I don't know, it's like in the summer. Yeah, it's, it's like three days from now, actually, for next year. Is it really? Three? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> we missed it again. Um, so so it is. It's like now and then they review it and then they approve it. And you need like final slide deck, everything you're going to be talking about in March of 2023 into them by like September. And that, the, the funny thing is like, that used to be just fine. Right. It used to be just We're, fine. Yeah.
1: And, and I think there's always been that kind of struggle and it, but it used to be just fine. It was fine. I mean, if you think about the things that have happened in the last 24 months from a retail business experience perspective and what we've had to adjust and shift on everything, right. There are some normalcies. Like we talked about yesterday, you know, the, the fact that, People are pressing into, you know, vehicle buying centers and buying vehicles. Like I did a presentation at driving sales last year that I could probably give today and there'd be a whole subset of dealers yep. that are just approaching like that. So there are some, yes. there's some blocking and tackling still to get rid of yep. and, and to, and to get in and, you know, and now we, we've got, uh, you know, if anyone's thinking Google, uh, you know, with the GA four changes for, for analytics, you we're going to be talking about that for the next 14 months until the old analytics are sunset. So there's, there, there are some of those like regular business things that, but, to really be dynamic with anything that you're talking about in the industry, it's a day-to-day type thing. And, and that's not just because of what's happening in automotive, but it's because of what's happening outside of automotive as well. All and day. I think that's where, where interestingly enough, where we kind of lean, lean in on this podcast every single day is, hey, we're gonna look inside and outside on, of automotive because they all are impacts on how the business operates.
0: Great segue without being a segue. Great segue without being a segue. So let's talk inside and outside automotive. Uh, Vroom is getting sued. This news dropped last week, but we never talked about it. Vroom is getting sued by Texas. You you know you're in trouble when Texas is sued. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Over alleged deceptive trade practices uh, from the article. According to a news release distributed last Wednesday, the lawsuit against Vroom, which who sells vehicles to Texas consumers also under the name Texas Auto Direct, you may already know this, alleges that the company misrepresented and failed to disclose significant delays in transferring clear title and obtaining vehicle registrations. We're back to the titling and registration, something that wow. auto dealers are really good at that everyone took for granted. How hard can it be? It's just a piece of paper. Um, also, room failed to disclose vehicle history, condition, and financing terms, and they have received 5000 Complaints to the Better Business Bureau, and if you just Google Vroom lawsuit, actually, the news about this doesn't even show up because there are so many people on Reddit threads saying, can I sue Vroom? It's not a good place to be.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, the typical thing for me, that when, when dealers start talking about Vroom, they go to the reviews page and it's like this question mark of, so you, what you're really saying is putting out a 3.4 star aggregate review rating is a good thing, Vroom, <laughs> you know, cause that's what they, they literally have that on the website. Um, you know, we, we've seen Carvana struggle with this same type of thing. Yeah. And I, I, Honestly, at some level, I am sympathetic because I do know from a dealership operation perspective, when you're dealing with anything across state lines, the the dynamics and the intricacies of it's, it's tax title registration are extreme. It, it, it honestly, it's a problem that the states have. That is that's a that's the bigger problem. Well, here. it definitely and-
0: needs to be normalized. I mean, I bought I bought over the pandemic, I bought a car from um Wisconsin and it was disgusting getting the title Yep it over to New York. I mean, granted, it was in the middle of COVID that comp complicated it, but it had to like go through a title processing place in Delaware. I was like, what is going on with this? Honestly, this is a problem that like blockchain is going to solve very yeah. easily, like proof of ownership. Um, when we get to that,
1: but hey, but here's the thing. The, the other piece of this for Vroom, I, and I got to say this is what's really interesting is if you know to the Texas Direct brand, which uh, five years ago was when uh, kind of um, Vroom purchased Texas Direct, which was a, an a, a intentional thing to be able to do a lot of the recon and house a lot of vehicles because Texas Direct yeah, Texas has Auto, all the Direct, land.
0: Direct Auto was awesome.
1: Yeah. So and Texas Direct had an absolutely hey. incredible. Reputation in the Texas market, from what I understand, at least, and and looking back, because I knew the brand. There was a lot. There were a lot of people in the retail automotive industry actually looking to Texas Direct. What are they doing next? They're getting it right. right. Absolutely, the showroom experience, the online experience. They had all that right, which was what Vroom was uh, hoping to acquire. But the scale up of that is what has and 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 the corporatizes corporatization, uh, which I don't know if that's a word. Ding, it is.
0: It's a word. You got it.
1: There you go. Um, has has really you know took a took a negative impact on that really
0: solid brand? It's one of the problems that I think comes with um, either success or in this case, just getting a lot of public money. Yeah, right? The margin for error just widens so much that I think it's really easy to go to sleep and lose focus on the fundamentals of the business. And you see it all the time with public companies because, you know, Ben Stock talks about this. They're playing with public money. Like no one really feels it when they take the hit. The feeling of it is so collectively spread out that there's no real consequence. And let's be honest, like consequence is a great motivator. And when you remove that from the situation, like I think things just begin to slide like this.
1: You know, I do think as I'm thinking through this and, and just for those mid to large size auto groups that are, that have dealer principals or general managers that are kind of tuned in to this type of news and pointing the finger, I think it's, it, it's a time to kind of reflect as brands centralize, as brands kind of roll up to a group level. And I'm thinking all the way from you know, a lithia with driveway and Asbury with ClickLane, um, Sonic group one are all are all doing similar things. There's also mid-sized groups that are doing this regionally, and there is a massive danger to like losing the impact of the local brand when you roll up. And so for the groups that are doing that, I think it's the right move, being very attentive to this, like as you move to a corporatization. And as you move to a centralized approach to your marketing and brand, realizing that that local dealer um, has a lot of uh, has a lot of real world experience to be able to execute the things that still have to be done at the corporate level and not just saying, oh, because we're corporate, we know how to do this. Recognize that the local brand has 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 a lot to say about
0: it. It's almost like you got to remember the personalization of it in the midst of the corporatization of it, because like (laughs) when you go to that that was a mouthful. That was a serious mouthful. I don't even know if I could type that. (laughs) I definitely definitely couldn't spell it. (laughs) But you think of like any, any big corporation that you do business with that makes you feel amazing. It's because the person at the end of the chain, the person on the front line did something to personalize it. That's why like Nordstrom, Ritz Carlton, they get it so right because they tried, they formalize and corporatize the, the overall trajectory of it. But when, when that server is at the table, it's ladies and gentlemen, helping ladies and gentlemen, right? Serving ladies and gentlemen, and you feel it. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot there to unpack. Thanks for giving us something to talk about Vroom. We appreciate it. We hope you, we hope you get it right. We really do. Um, all right. Well, speaking of big corporations, segue. Oh, this is like an understatement. <laughs> that segue button doesn't do this one any dang justice. We didn't big make corporations, it the least.
1: however, the whole like personalization, human touch thing is a little. That's not the segue we're looking for. If you if you know what I mean. No,
0: no, there's not. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it today. Um, I saw the news come through on like on like one of my apps. Elon Musk's bid to buy Twitter is accepted, and I was just like. He did it. He did it. (laughs) How did this even happen? Um, So uh, the how did this even happen actually spurred uh, a little bit of research. So um, I looked up a timeline and found a great little article. We we linked it up in the show notes. Let's go through the quick timeline of events of how this actually transpired, because you may have started hearing it somewhere along the process. And then it it just executed in a flurry of Elon Musk now uh, buying Twitter and like the whole thing. And so he bought it for $54.20 a share, which is a 38% premium over the stock. I don't know that any Twitter shareholder was expecting to get a 38% return on their investment in Twitter. Um, here's a quick timeline. In January 31st of this year, so less than three months ago, uh, Musk started buying Twitter stock. On March 24th, so now we're a whole month, almost two months later, he starts openly critiquing Twitter on Twitter, right? He's saying, I'm worried that there's a bias in the algorithm and it's affecting free speech. Free speech is essential and is a new platform needed, right? And he says, I'm giving serious thought to this. On April 4th, his stake in Twitter becomes public. He's saying, oh, I you know it's all of a sudden he owns 9.2% of Twitter and everybody knows it now. And Twitter says, hey, come join the board. The next day he files to become an active investor, right? It's a, it's a designation that allows him now to be openly saying like, I'm active. I'm trying to influence the company and therefore, you know, it could influence the stock price. A few days later, he was like, they were like, hey, come be on the board. Like, this guy's going to be trouble. We need to get him inside. He was like, oh, I'll consider it. <laughs> this is Kyle, this is when you were like, if anyone ever had a question on whether or not Elon Musk is a car guy. <laughs> right. He
1: took the deal away. It was incredible. <laughs> he just grabbed
0: the piece of paper off the desk, walked off, and took the deal away. It was unbelievable. Not, so this is April 9th. On April 10th, uh, Twitter make, made that news public, and speculation abounds. Um the next day, he filed another thing with the SEC saying he could buy as much as he wants. And then on the fourteenth, so let's let's do this. On the fifth, he became an active investor. On the fifteenth, fourteenth, uh, almost ten days later, he said, "Here's my best and final offer." It was his only offer, by the way. He said, wow. "I have one offer for you," and it was fifty four twenty, which is by the way, would it close that? Then Twitter said, "I don't think so." The very next day, they said, "No way. We're going to try to stop you from buying this at any." Our our commitment is to the freedom of speech and all that all that stuff. And then the next day, it's revealed that how many shares, Kyle, did Twitter's board? How much? How much did they own? <laughs> the board the collectively, the whole board. That's like no way. Less less, less than two percent. We don't want your garbage <laughs> offer. We don't have any money vested in this company except for the fact that we get big paydays and we have a lot of power on the board. They said that, and then kind of the temperature changed a little bit, and he was like, oh, yeah, watch this. I'm going to offer it to every single shareholder to buy their individual shares, which he was allowed to do, and then he wow. he then he pulled out the big stick, and he said, by the way, I've got the money lined up. That, that, was, that was a game changer because at that point, he put the board in the position saying like, hey, if you don't consider this offer seriously, it's obvious you're not acting in the best interest of your shareholders, which is a legally... Uh, binding fiduciary responsibility, which they'd be in for a lot of trouble. Uh, A couple days later, they held discussions (laughs) with Musk and just yesterday, they're like, all right, we'll sell it. (laughs) And we'll do it. So start start to finish less than three months, 10 weeks. I don't think there's
1: much more to say outside of the world's literally flipping. Elon knows it. Yeah, he does. And he's grabbing at the things that allow him to make a massive impact on both his personal brand and society in a place where the, the opportunity is rich. And wh- whatever side you land on this, whether you're happy or mad about it or anything like that, for me, like where the rubber meets the road is that there are opportunities like this that exist everywhere. And depending on your brand, your company's brand or anything like that, Keeping your head up and recognizing the opportunities and working those opportunities in intelligently will give you a leg up on whatever impact factor is happening around you. Absolutely. So,
0: I love that, yeah. the bringing it down to the ground because everyone has something like that somewhere that is in your sphere of control. Um, we'll get to our last story in a second. Um, this This button's up. His last and final offer was the offer that was accepted. This deal will take six months to close. Like you said, there are people big time on both sides of this. A lot of speculation inside and outside the organization. And now, you know, you know, you've done it right when you have Jeff Bezos uh, (laughs) throwing rocks be like, you know, you have a lot of business in China. I wonder if China now has an elevated voice in the town square, says the guy who owns the a premier newspaper and obviously has no ties or issues or any integration with China because nothing that's at sold on Amazon all. is made in China at all. Not at all. Never got a Chinese made product from Amazon. <laughs> not yeah. once, not once. So we'll, we'll, see how this one plays out. We'll see how this plays out. And I guess that's really all we can do. All right, let's talk about another big company that has a, um, also very close ties to automotive. Uh, Meta. Kyle, I want you to talk about this. I'm tired of this. Oh, well, this is just hilarious. <laughs>
1: look i'm gonna i'm gonna lay this out every dealer everywhere should be like look see brick and mortar right (laughs) because (laughs) because meta in an obvious move instead of putting a metaverse place to order their oculus or any of their smart glasses from they in fact go and are putting a 1550 foot square foot space located in Burlingame, California, where employees are focusing on the metaverse virtual worlds where people will be able to work, play and socialize. The store will feature products that allow you to be in the metaverse. So they're putting a brick and mortar store to sell things, to get you into the metaverse. They are the irony (laughs) is so unique here.
0: (laughs) Uh, I, at first I thought they were going to roll these out all over the country. Maybe they will. Ah, uh, this is just the first. they didn't announce any big plans. Um, but you know, they're like, hey, I, I think this is really a big acknowledgement of like the big time like skepticism. like I don't think that that is gonna be fun at all. Like I'm not gonna sit right. with inoculus. And so I think that that's just an acknowledgement of like you have to try it. You had just you just have to try it. And I'll tell you, the first time I put VR goggles on it was the it was the PlayStation ones. And it, it's a pretty awesome thing. Like you put them on and all of a sudden you start like looking around and you're like, okay, this is definitely different. Uh, this this place has a wall-to-wall curved LED screen that displays what you're seeing in virtual reality. So, you know, the hundred people that are standing around you and you have the goggles on can see in a big wraparound format like, oh, this is what you're seeing. That could be pretty cool. So, I mean, look, this is, again, another shift move toward um, this integrated world of the, the metaverse And the real world and everything in between. And again, man, if it was 24 months ago, I really think you'd listen to this episode and be like, is this an April 1st episode?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know what's even more ridiculous? I think in 24 months, we're going to look back at this and be like, that was all? That was all?
0: (laughs) Ah, You know that's true. Yeah. You know that's true. But we have no idea what or when it's going to happen. But here's the deal. We have a full day that we can react to everything that we've just heard and make the next best move together. We're here for you, you're here for us, we're all here for the community. Let's get it done.